What is up, Kangaroo Chasers? Carbs here with a little bonus this week. So not an episode of Chasing Kangaroos I'm bringing you today, but actually an episode of Beers with Brownie. So if you don't know what Beers with Brownie is, uh, you're not following us on YouTube. You should be. So <laughs> Chasing Roos YouTube channel, we're celebrating a 1,000 subscribers. And uh, I shouldn't say we because uh, Phil Brown, my partner in crime, at ChasingRoos.com, the international store for rugby league fans. Check it out if you haven't. But Phil runs the YouTube channel. He does a great job, does a lot of international rugby league vlogs from games and things like that. And he has a little show called Beers with Brownie where he has a beer with an unsung hero or legend uh, growing the sport of rugby league somewhere, anywhere around the world. Um, He's got about 16 episodes of the show at the moment, which you can watch on YouTube, go check it out if you haven't already. Um, but for those of you like me, who I don't really watch YouTube, I, I rather listen to a podcast. I don't, you know, I can't watch. I, um, I, I, I listen. I need to, I need to be multitasking. Um, so this was an episode that I really enjoyed. It was episode fourteen of Beers with Brownie, featuring Warren Highleg. If you don't know Warren, he's a Queenslander. He played rugby league in the USA. Uh, but the most interesting part of the story for me and the, the big part of the story for me was that he started rugby league in Norway. He talks about that in great detail. And um, I just thought it was really intriguing. He's a real passionate dude about rugby league and growing the game. And um, some great lessons to be learned here for anyone thinking of doing something similar, but also for anyone that's just interested in this kind of stuff. So guys, bonus episode. Take it away, Phil Brown, Beers with Brownie, featuring Warren Highleg. Welcome to Beers with Brownie. We're an international rugby league YouTube series where we bring on some international rugby league legends and tell their stories. So for those that are new to the channel, uh, for every 100 subscribers until we reached 1,000 subscribers, we sent out 10 students to developing international rugby league nations all around the world. Uh, We've uploaded some of those videos already just to show you how those balls are getting put to good use and how they're helping to develop rugby league around the world. So I'd like to welcome our guest for this episode. He's got quite the rugby league CV, so bear with me. I'm just going to read it out quickly. I've been trying to get him on the show for quite a while because he's got some fantastic stories to tell. Uh, he was the founder of Rugby League in Norway. He played uh, rugby league in the USA domestic competition. He's played in the UK for the London Scholars. He's played for the USA and for Norway for the national teams. And he founded the Scandinavian Nines. Warren Highleg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Good to see you again, mate. So I've always been a big fan of uh, Warren's and I've admired his passion for growing rugby league around the world. I saw it firsthand uh, when I was in Oslo, um, refereeing at the Scandinavian Nines, um, and this is gonna be a good story to tell. So for those that are new to the uh, channel, uh, every episode we like to support a beer that supports rugby league. Uh, Carlton United Breweries uh, have quite a number of uh, products and uh, they, they are the official uh, beverage partner of the NRL. So. We're going, we're going, we've got the, as Warren played in the USA, we're going to go with uh, an American iconic beer, Budweiser. Um, so thank you to Carlton United Breweries for your support of rugby league. Cheers, Woz. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, hurry up and get, get to the beer. 
And also on every episode, I like to wear a piece of rugby league merchandise to show my support uh, for international rugby league and developing, uh, developing rugby league areas. So today I'm going with the Toronto Wolfpack. Uh, I was lucky enough when I was living in London, I went to visit um, Lamport Stadium in Toronto three times to see the Wolfpack play. And it was great to see Canadians and North Americans really uh, getting into the sport we love. Um, it's just a shame that it didn't didn't continue. But one day, hopefully, we can hopefully rugby league can uh, resurrect a, a professional team there or a professional comp. So I'm just like to show my support for Toronto Wolfpack and Canada Rugby League. So it was my first question. So how did you come to love rugby league? Uh, I had no choice. I got a, uh, a Maori mother and a father who grew up in Brisbane. So uh, I don't think there was any other choice for me. Uh, maybe if, if my old man was from Melbourne, I might, I might have been playing AFL and been the worst AFL player you've ever seen. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Uh, Dad's from Brisbane. Mum's a Maori. Uh, you know how they love a bit of rugby league, bashing each other. So yeah, it was pretty inevitable. So, so was which um, junior footy clubs did you play for and which positions did you play? Mate, there was only one ever junior club for me. I'm a life member of Winner Manly Juniors, so I'm a winning boy through and through. And, and what, what positions did you play as a kid growing up? Oh, shit. Um, everything. Even, even the orange peeler at one stage. Jack so, of all trades. Yeah, pretty much. A jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> so, was... Uh, we're going to talk about your experiences playing in the USA and in Norway, but before that, um, you're quite a good footy player and you played um, a bit of Queensland Cup here in Queensland. So tell us about um, who you played for and, and those experiences. I was, um, I was going all right as a young fella and uh, I signed with Wynnum and I played me, uh, me Colts and a bit of Reggie's there. And then, um, yeah, I, I wasn't going to get a start. So, yeah, I swapped over and, and went to South and uh, got a couple of games in Q Cup there. And, uh, then I got the opportunity to go to the US, so uh, that was it. Pat me bags, I'm out of here. So was uh, tell us, when you went over to the US, which team did you play for and uh, how did you find the standard and was it a good experience? Mate, well, here's a funny thing. How that happened was, I hope you're ready for this story. So how no, that happened it. was I'd met an American girl in Surface Paradise and I, I went home with her for the night and we stayed in contact. She was living in Coffs Harbour. Wow. And um, anyway, we were sort of you know, dating and seeing each other. Then she went home. And um, when she went home, I went over and visited her for a Christmas. And when I went there, I, I ran into a bloke who had a Canterbury Bulldogs jersey on in a pub. <laughs> That's <laughs> random. Very random. Anyway, I, he was, this man was absolutely ginormous. You should have seen it. He was a man mountain. And um, it just happened to be uh, a legendary rugby league, US rugby league player, old Freddie Gruler. Wow. So he played in the uh, the original Sevens team. See the one with the shaved head? Yeah, 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 big Freddie, like big bad Freddie. So wow. anyway, he, uh, he took me number and he said uh, in his... Big, loud American boy. Dude, if you ever want to come over, I'm going to start a team, man. You Love come it. and play for me. Love it. I was, yeah, well, I'm too busy. I'm scared of you, mate, to be quite honest. So, yeah, <laughs> whatever you say. Uh, yeah, and in the end, I um, I gave him a call and I just said, mate, are you serious? He's like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, come over, come over. And, <laughs> and yeah, the rest is history. I ended up, uh, yeah, over there for a couple of years and um, made, made some great mates. Uh, Americans who uh, I still still talk to to this day. So isn't it, isn't it funny? That's the beauty of our game. It's an actual world game. 
So, what like what was the, was the standard of footy like, and how did the team go that season? Oh, mate, we we made the grand final. Now we lost, um, we lost to oh, Glen Mills Bulls. That was oh, it. Now Dave, Glenn Mills, David News team. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, old Dave New who ran the league. He he actually uh, captain coached the main team there, and mate, they they were good. They were just. Big, like they were big and hard and physical. And yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of Americans don't really know what footwork was. <laughs> just, just run hard. Yeah, it was just a bashathon. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I weighed about at that time. I must have weighed about eighty kilos, ring and wet. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, what, what position to, were you playing that season? Uh, mate, I was playing five eight over there. Right. Um, I had to to sort of try and steer the ship a bit because you'd sort of be directing. These big units, you just stand out there and run that way, and I'll get the ball to you. So just <laughs> just keep doing that, and we'll be fine. So was while while you're over in the US, you you spent three seasons there. So you must have really enjoyed your experience to, to keep going back, mate. I loved it. I I loved it. I honestly thought for a while there, ah, oh, mate, I'll end up living here. But um, yeah, I, I look at how the US is now. I'm pretty glad I came home. To be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> So, so after your three seasons in the US, you decide to go and chance your arm playing in the UK and uh, you join the London Scholars. So tell us about that experience. Mate, it, funny that, well, you, you, were my, um, you were my CEO at the time, so you tell me how I went, I don't know. <laughs> uh, mate, it was, uh, it was a funny thing. I feel like a bit of a sexual refugee, actually, because, um, yeah, I was, I was seeing a, a Norwegian girl who ended up becoming my wife and... Um, yeah, we met here in Brisbane, and uh, after that, we she said, my visa's up, I've got to go. Now, I was originally meant to go to France, and right. I'd signed on with Albi in France, yep. and um, it was all good. Two weeks before we due to go, the coach has been sacked. No every, every player he's, he's signed on. All signings are done. <laughs> yeah, you're out. Oh, no. That was it. So I was done. I'm like, ah, shit. So I had to scramble around and search, and I sent CVs to every single British club I'd ever heard of. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I got two bites. One was from Blackpool and one was from London, and I chose London because I'd never heard of Blackpool. So right. I didn't want to get stuck in a small town. Yeah. So at least if you're in London, you know, there's a lot of people there. You know, Plenty to see and do. Exactly right. It's a good base to have. So that was it, yeah, I uh, flew over two weeks later on, um, on a plane and landed in London. So, so what was that season like? Did you, like, what did you think of the standard there? And, um, you know, and the thing with London, there's always um, a good mix of Londoners, Northerners, a few Aussies and Kiwis. Like, how was the dynamic of the team as well? Mate, the, the te- as you know yourself, mate, the, the team it was made up of, of a bit of everything. Like, um, it was a pretty unique, th- I, I reckon it was, pretty much like playing for the United Nations, the way it was. Yeah. I mean, uh, we had nearly every single country represented, I'm sure of it. So I ended up uh, having a German grandfather. I, uh, I ended up playing a couple of um, nines cameo appearances with the uh, German side, with Simon Cooper. Yep. So, you know, I could say, all right, well, I've, we've got Germany, we've got Ghana, we've, <laughs> we've got Jamaica, we've got... Well, Mark Meredith from Samoa at There the you go, think, yeah. yeah. We, he, uh, mate, there was, uh, there was plenty, and we had uh, Namilla Davui, he, he was Fiji, so... Uh, mate, yeah, we, we had a good mix. We had uh, Richie Lau, who was South African, and, and possibly... 
the toughest man I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, he uh, yeah he was a, he was a very big uh, yeah from Joburg hard man. So it was nice to uh, sort of be running next to a bloke like that. Well, I, I played a season with uh, ex London scholars Rupert Yonkers and Mario de Troyes. So yeah. guys, if you're watching, a uh, big shout out to you guys. But um, those South Africans, they're just made for rugby league. They were hard as nails. Like, mate, they certainly were. And mate, just when you mentioned those two names as well, I forgot all about them. But mate, they just and, and good blokes, really uh, good blokes. Absolutely. So, yeah, mate. If, yeah, if you boys, I, I hope you can come out to Australia one day. I'd love to have a beer with you. So, was every episode we a few days out? We usually put on social media. If uh, any fan fans have a question, just let us know what you'd like to ask the guests. And I've had uh, someone that you'd be familiar with, Lee Nissen's, uh, contacted us, <laughs> uh, ex-teammate, and he said, can you tell us about what you got up to off the field in London? But I don't, we're a PG show, so I don't know whether we should be sharing these uh, stories. Oh, well, to be honest, look, me and Lee, we used to go and do uh, hot yoga. Right. Uh, there was a lot of hot yoga. Um, you know, we'd, uh, we did a poetry slam one night. Um, there was a lot of that. Look, we were good boys. Um, you know, I, I tried to get him into going to church, but he, he just wouldn't be a part of it. But uh, no, in all honesty, this is a PG show, so you, you know what the London days were like. It was uh, it was good times had by all. We uh, we were a, a pretty tight knit group who used to drink it, drink a fair bit when uh, we weren't training. So uh, it was good. Play hard, so, party hard. Yeah, exactly. Lee, you're going to get yourself into trouble here. So no more questions like that. <laughs> and Lee, thanks for being a fan of the show. I hope you're doing well, buddy. So, Woz, you mentioned, you know, you played for Germany. Let's quickly rewind um, to your USA days. Yep. So, playing three seasons in, in the US, you were actually picked to play for the Tomahawks. So, tell us, who did you play against and what was it like playing for the Tomahawks? Uh, well, the first time when I got there, it was... Um, it was they were a bit fast and loose with the old rules back then. So, they just said, oh, we need you. So, we had a... Um, uh, the Barla side came to visit um, and they said, oh... We'll put in a junior team, and because I was only, I think I was like 21 or 22 at the time, and yep. um, yeah, they said, "Oh, mate, we'll, we'll chuck you in there, get into it." And I said, "Yeah, sweet." So that was my first taste, and then um, yeah, we came out here. They had uh, the I don't know whether it was a nines or sevens. I think it might have been a nines comp. I'm not too sure, mate. So that many years ago, I'm that old. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so I played with them out here. We played um, played a couple of games on tour out here down in Sydney, um, played in a nines tournament. And I, I, I've i got to tell you this story. Look, I got smoked by, who was, it, who was a Penrith winger? Like, he was an Aboriginal fella. Uh, mate, oh, I can't remember his name. Like, anyway. Well, like, he was really fast. And... Yeah, well, he was playing for Penrith. And all of a sudden, he's bobbed up with the Aboriginal side. Right. Like the Koori side. And he's... They've kicked the, they've chipped it over the top. I'm the only one within cooey of this ball. <laughs> Roberts, that's it, Roberts. Oh, he ended up playing in uh, for Wigan. Yeah, that's yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Roberts. Yeah, yeah, Amos Roberts. That was it. Well, wow. cheers, wow. Amos. You made me feel like a turtle that day because <laughs> he dead set. I was the only one with it, and all I could hear was the crowd roaring louder and louder as I was getting closer to the ball, and then I heard these footsteps, and they were coming quick. <laughs> It felt like I was in a car on a highway. He has literally just gone like that, gone around me, gone in front. The ball's popped up magically into his hands perfectly. He's streaked 
away from and I honestly was trying to put my afterburners on look which I don't have but <laughs> it was ridiculous like the speed of this man and I was I was trying my little heart out and he just burned me I just what well, I even clapped him <laughs> I did I just sat there after he put the ball down and went that was good that was really good <laughs> Oh, fantastic stuff. And um, so, as you mentioned, you know, the German grandfather. So, playing for Germany, who did you play against and what was that like? Mate, I just, I, I was with, um, I got to know, obviously, sort of, when you're in Europe, there's a lot of international rugby league stuff going on over there. Yeah. Um, I find we're a bit sheltered over here with that sort of stuff and the development that the European Federation do. Um, mate, I got to know Simon Cooper and um, obviously he's, you know, the great man was the founder of um, the German Rugby League, and yep. yeah, rest in peace, I saw. He was such a good bloke. Um, yeah, he uh, he got on to me and said, "Mate, we're coming over for a nines tournament um, at our home ground there. Uh, mate, do you want to come into it?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely." So yeah, I did that, and the funny thing was, I ended up having a uh, because of that, I ended up having a stint of rugby union over in Germany as well. All right, and then uh, yeah, but that lasted about. Two months, right? No, I wasn't really a big fan of rugby union, to be quite honest. <laughs> I just, well, yeah, like I just at the time I was just ah, ah, mate. I, I still got rugby league in me in my head at the moment. So yeah, the now that rugby union's gone professional, I uh, mate, I really enjoy it now, and that's saying something. So uh, yeah, rugby union's come a long way. So what was it like in Germany? Was there many teams? Mate, there was there was a few teams there. Uh, mate, rugby union was big. Like, it was surprisingly big over there. Right. Um, yeah, they sort of take it pretty serious, and there's uh, there's a bit of money and cash floating around. That's why I went over there. I was trying to get paid, but um, <laughs> yeah, rugby league they're, they're struggling like every other rugby league around the world. We're always struggling for money, but uh, yeah. eventually people will cotton on that this is a a good game. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Definitely. Um, so after your time in the UK for scholars, uh, you mentioned you met a Norwegian girl, and you've you, you end up moving to Norway, uh, and you you set up Norway Rugby League. So tell us about the early days of the Norwegian Rugby League. Oh, mate, I um, when I first moved there, because obviously rugby league didn't exist. So when I moved, um, I I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll join the local rugby union club uh, in Oslo, so I can make some friends. Yeah. Anyway, so I went and did that, and um, in the end, like they they'd have like you know, hundred people to train them. Wow. And then, uh, but they'd only ever pick the same guys. So, and it was always the the expats. So it's a closed shop for these guys. It was, and then I felt sorry for the Norwegians, and I said, look, why don't you guys turn up to training every week, and you never get a game? Look, and then I, I approached the club, and I said, why don't you let them? I'll coach them. I'll teach them the fundamentals because. It, to be honest, their coaching in Norway was poor compared to where I'd just come from. So I said, look, I'll coach them yeah, and, and we'll, we'll just do something like that because they're, they're not going to catch up to you. Like, you. You're too far ahead of them. Yeah. So, so these were like expat English and Kiwis? Yeah, and, and South Africans and stuff like that, and French. And, mate, they had them for everywhere. And it, they knew I was from rugby league and then they just went, no. They absolutely dead set refused me. Well, they had that... that um hatred for the yeah, game. Yeah, there was a lot of animosity there about it, and then I just went, you know what? Bugger it. So I went and approached all the local Norwegians, and I said, look, come with me, I'm going to teach you how to play, and I'm going to give you a game. So, without even asking, 
you know, the rugby union guys. I, I went and put a, a rugby league game on before their rugby union game. Oh, wow. Of all the guys left over. Like, I, the I guys that, that weren't getting a run. That wouldn't have gone down well. No, it didn't go down very well. But, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we're, mate, we're flying now. Like, that, that one little germ, because my thing was, no, if you can teach the locals to appreciate it, and our game's a lot easier to teach than rugby unions. It so is, I said, yeah. all right, well, leave it with me, I'll teach them the basics. Because if they can play rugby league first, they're going to be a hell of a lot better rugby union players for you down the track because their fundamental skills are being worked on. Like, rugby league is your, your fundamentals, and then rugby union is, well, you've got to add more on top of that. That's always how I viewed it. So let me work on their fundamentals, and then you guys can finesse them later. Nah, they refused. I said, all right, well, I'll just turn it into a rugby league then. And that was it. We, um, we started off with, uh, I still to this day call them the originals. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they ended up becoming my close mates. And now, now uh, you'll see that the differences between league and union in Norway is um, unions still have, you know, the expats basically run that comp. But with rugby league, it's actually run by Norwegians. So, right. Mate, it's uh, it's a good thing to have. Particularly, it's only ten years old. You know, ten years old, and and they're already sitting there snapping at the heels of Union, you know, which has been around for fifty years. But that's because you know, right from the get go, my my main aim was get the locals involved because it'll never take off with expats. So we did. I just me and my uh, my now ex-wife, but uh, you know, we we spoke about it the other day actually, and you know, just we used to bust our asses every day trying to get Norwegians involved and yep. um, yeah we did it worked and they're kicking on and congratulations to them awesome um, so what's, tell, us, tell us about the first Norway rugby league season how many teams did you have and did you struggle getting match officials and things like that uh, I remember there was a, a young fella Justine who was a yeah. he lived in <laughs> Australia for a while but he was a Norwegian heritage guy who, who ref but yeah, tell us about that first season, actually getting that comp off the ground and teams playing each other. Well, we we had three teams. I I had a bit of luck because we had, you know, we had enough in, in Oslo itself to split the teams. And I said, all right, well, two teams is not going to be enough. We had another guy who was one of those guys who missed out uh, called Bjorn Mickelson. Right. And he became my right-hand man when we first started. He was living out in a place called Lillestrøm. Um, and then what happened was he said, all right, well, I'll start a club out where I am, and now we got three. Now, Lillestrøm's only about half an hour outside of Oslo, right. so northeast of Oslo. So now we've got a three-team comp. Now we can have a proper comp. Yep. And that's that's really how we got started. Like We had to do nine, nine aside at the start, but it didn't matter. The guys were just happy to just play long as they're getting out there exactly they're, they're getting a run and that's all they ever wanted and all they ever asked for yeah and you know we we were smart enough to fulfill that gap for them and they loved us for it and mate we uh yeah we got a pretty loyal following because of that with that's the policy we give the locals a start that's what it's meant to be about so so you say the first three years of norway rugby league so when first year was three teams where did you go in year two and three did it, did it go four and did it keep expanding or what, yeah it did mate yeah we, we were lucky because Sort of, I, I hate to say it, but it was true. I sort of, I used to say to people when I was doing this, that this, this is not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. When you guys, you know, do your apprenticeship within the sport, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll expand a bit more and give you a bit more power, but 
trust trust me methods in what I'm doing. You know, I've come from Australia where you know this is huge. Uh, yep. I've got a I've got a strategy in place. Just let me run it. And then they had enough faith in me to do that. And yep. so we started expanding. And then I'd purposefully bring guys in who, where are you from? Oh, they, they were in Oslo for the weekend or something like that. And they came from you know, other cities around Norway. And uh, they'd find out, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, we'll come and have a game. And I'd send them away and I'd send them away with balls and markers and yep. <laughs> shit like that. And say, I'll come and visit you and I'll come and visit the schools in your area. Right. So that was how we were doing it, like just like how the NRL do it. Yeah. So what I do is I'd say, all right, well, you set yourself up, start a club. Oh, no, no, just start a club and you leave the rest to me. Yeah. So then I'd go out and visit the schools and uh, make sure, all right, we're drumming up. And by the way, here's the number of the new club that's just started out, if you like it. And they'd have a gaggle of young fellas there and that was it. Club's now started. So Fantastic. Yeah, no, it, was a, it was a... A quick draw McGraw sort of way of doing it, but it worked. Um, yeah, it was successful. Yeah, yeah, you know, the guys are still going well. So, mate, there's always going to be dramas and clubs folding and, you know, brand new clubs starting up. But, yep. mate, if you can get the locals to be passionate about your sport, you're on a winner because eventually, you just like myself, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm sure, like, you know, we've, we've spoken to other guys, I know a lot of guys from around the world. And, we do. We get burnt out. You know, we, the only thing that keeps us going is you know we need a break usually, and it takes about a month, maybe six weeks, and then we get slowly but surely drawn back into it, and that's it. You're back where you started, and you're into it again. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. So was uh, you introduced the Scandinavian Nines tournament, which is a great concept, and um, you know I was I was involved in one of them, which we'll talk about shortly. But um, how did like what made you decide to bring the Scandinavian nines in and, and when did you bring that in? Was that year three, year four into Norway rugby uh, leagues? Mate, I think um, it was I think it was about uh, third year. I think right. maybe maybe around the third year there. Um, the, the the whole concept was we were starting to get uh, interest in how how I did it from um, guys in Sweden and then guys in Denmark. Yeah. And the problem was they wanted to <laughs> and it's always the way we always find people in our sport or who come into our sport. You know, I always think I'm not very. I know it's bad, but I'm not very trusting of them. Like, why are you coming to our sport? And automatically, they want to do a, a international series, and you know, they want this and they want that. And yeah. I'm like, uh, man, this this isn't going to be your saviour. Like, don't use our game to boost your own ego. You know, there's a lot of egos within rugby league and. Yeah, you know, I know we've all got them, but like not when you're first starting out. Like sort of as I say, do your apprenticeship within the game first, and then you know when when you're ready, you know we'd be happy to give you more control. Yeah. Anyway, so we had a couple of guys. You know, probably not the Swedish. The Danish were a bit bit like that. They were a bit like gun ho. But yeah, it's like well, you know, all right. Well, we'll we'll send a side down to play against you guys just to give you a a markup and. Yeah, hindsight's a terrible thing because now I look back, I probably should have said to them, "We won't come and visit you," because it was all at the expense of our guys. Like our guys, and yeah, you know, my my poor ex-wife, I think I'm in debt to her about about a half a million dollars. The amount of money she pumped into rugby league, wow. you know, like mate, she she kept that thing running for years. I, no wonder she left me. I was fucking horrible. I was the worst husband in the world. <laughs> I was never home. I was taking her money. I was, 
<laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, yeah, we had a few rough years, but mate, she's she was a legend. So if you're watching, uh, Celia, thanks for everything. <laughs> the rugby league world, thank you. Yeah. Well, I was from an outside looking in. I was based in London at the time, and I was in awe of you know Norway rugby league. Just seemed to be going from strength to strength. And uh, you invited me over to referee uh, the Scandinavian Nines. I think it was about 2012. Yeah. Uh, Norway rugby league had just appointed Craig West, uh, who was based in France, married yeah. a French woman after playing rugby league there, based himself there. He he was named the head coach. Westy, if you're watching, I hope you're well. Um, you're you're a good man. Um, and I remember going, going to Oslo and um, I refereed in, in, the, in the nines and we had teams, we had a Northern England team come over, I think it was a, the Danish team came over. So it was great for development in, the, in that region. And, and I actually thought the standard was really good. Um, I don't know whether you remember, there was this Swedish bloke, really solid Swedish bloke, just putting hits on everyone. And I remember you were on the <laughs> microphone and you said, that was a bone rattler. And I just said, geez, this, I was, in my head I was out there on, in, the, in the field and... Um, I just thought, gee, these guys, you know, considering they didn't grow up with rugby league, they actually were pretty good. And um, I remember you invited me to the season launch, and and there was a, a Norwegian guy. He had a, he sounded like an American, but he said he was Norwegian born and raised, and they just watched a lot of American TV. That's why they had American accents or something. But I remember he was on the microphone MCing, and we had a team from Tromso, which was right up the north of Norway, and it just was it was so professionally done, and I was just in awe. I was just I was so happy to be a part of that and um yeah like that would have taken a lot of effort to, to put that tournament on like mate it, it did as you know and this is is what many people don't see you know i'm, I'm just looking over at Roddy now and I, I think i'm gonna reminisce with him here like we all go through it like, all of us guys like yourself included you know we we give our lives away for this game you know th this is what we do and and you know that's our purpose and you know i wouldn't have it any other way but you know, you talk about, oh, I was professionally done, but it wasn't. Because when you look behind the scenes, like, yeah, you were the main ref for that whole tournament. I drove you to ref every single game, you poor bugger. <laughs> but then you'd end up sleeping on my couch. You know what I mean? Like, and I, all I could do was offer you beers. And in Norway, that, that's a pretty expensive thing, mate. It's like $25 for a schooner. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, mate, it, it wasn't ever, the glossy stuff on the outside was just hiding just how hard we had to work, you know, behind closed doors. Like, I remember after that Nines tournament, um, everyone was ready to get on the beers because obviously we had uh, an expat Aussie side who won it against Germany, believe it or not. So, um, you know, and when they did, like, half of those guys were sleeping in my living room <laughs> on, um, you know, on, like, blow-up couches and stuff like that. It was just... I'd taken the whole house, and we had housemates at the time too, and I'd taken the whole house, there was about 20 guys just living in this house. It stunk to high heaven because there was too many bodies there. And, uh, but that, that's how we had to do it to start with. You know, that, was, that was how we got going. But you know, when you say, yeah, it turned professional, yeah, we, we did eventually. Like we, we got better, but yeah, don't have a discount. You know, the, the work that all of us did. I was lucky. I had guys like yourself. And I had, you know, my right-hand man uh, eventually became, you know, Lars Haig. And, uh, mate, Lars, without Lars, even to this day, like, you know, Lars and um, Anna Haig, his mother, mm. you know, the game would be dead if those guys didn't pick up, pick up when I left. I know. remember Lars. He was uh, a winger that was from that English team that came. Uh, out, he, he was from Saddleworth. And, Saddleworth Rangers, yeah, that's Yeah, it. and, mate, he just, like, he's... he's 
just as passionate about rugby league as I am. And um, I, I miss him. I can't wait to uh, get over to the World Cup and uh, catch up with him for a couple of uh, crazy nights like the old days. <laughs> so, but uh, mate, he, uh, you know, guys like him. I, I was lucky. I had guys like that. I could, I yeah. could rely on. That, um, yeah. Without them, like I know it's nice to say, oh, yeah, you know, I get all the glossy stuff, but without a lot of people involved in what I did, it it never would have worked. So, you know, I I can't sit there and say, oh yeah, well, I did this, I did that. I, I say we did it, and that's why I keep to this day always talk about, you know, the OGs of Norway Rugby League. Like they're the ones that we should be thanking because I I had the idea, but. Without those guys doing the groundwork, it never would have happened. Laying the platform and exactly right. So I was just uh, before I move on, I just want to quickly tell a, uh, a little story. So you, as you were saying, <laughs> do we want to? <laughs> <laughs> as you were saying about how the um, Norway, the beer costs so much. So I, I, that was my first trip to, to Norway when when I was reffing at the Scandinavian Nines, and I remember at the aftermatch function um, where you got up and did the presentation. Before that, we had a, like a fish and chips and a beer for dinner. And I remember paying, I worked it out, it was equivalent of 40 pounds for fish and chips and a beer. And <laughs> I've, never, I've never been to somewhere so expensive. Downtown Oslo, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an expensive place. I, but, I, um, hope, I hope you got a mortgage on the house because <laughs> you're going to have to refinance. <laughs> so, so I was moving on. Um, so West is the, Craig West is the head coach of Norway. And I remember Norway went and toured Malta, I think it was the year after, maybe 2013 or 2014. Um, yeah. So tell us, about, tell us about that tour. How did that go? Mate, well, there's another one of the boys, you know, like Anthony Michaelis. Uh, mate, he's a good mate of yours, and now I can proudly say good mate of mine. I love him. Uh, mate, he was, yeah, a legend of a guy. And, mate, he was just so dedicated to the game as well, like in Malta, like such a small island, but he made it work. And, mate, i tell you what, he can put on a tour, like, you know, if, if ever any team wants to go on tour, I suggest go to Malta because mm. that island is just built for good times, I tell you. And, mate, we we took a side down there and the whole thing was professional. You know, we're doing TV interviews and I think I'd upset the locals because <laughs> I told them we were going to bash them and stuff like that. I was doing it on purpose. I was trying to get a rise so we'd get more people to the game. And I think it might have worked too much because they were giving it to me after they flogged us. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think I was a very popular man on the island. But, uh, mate, no, good times. Everyone really looked after us. And, uh, mate, it was uh, happy days. I, I, we ended up going back again. Uh, and uh, old Jared Samet, uh, he played for him and smoked the living hell out of us. So, um, mate, I tell you, yeah. Good times, Malta, definitely go there. Like you've got to go to Malta. If well, you haven't been there, you've got to go. Well, we're filming uh, during Magic Round, and uh, Malta are playing Montenegro this weekend. And I saw uh, Jar- Jared Samet tweeted, and he's in the, he's in the squad. So Montenegro are going to have a tough time containing him because he's an awesome player. Oh, mate, have you seen his Instagram? No, only on Twitter I follow don't, him. So. Well, I tell you what, don't don't look at it because when he gets his shirt off. It just, it really makes you depressed. Puts us to shame. Oh, <laughs> he's the fittest man alive. Oh, Jared, I don't know what you're doing, mate, but eat something. <laughs> but uh, just on Anthony, Anthony, I know, you, I know you're a fan of the show, so a big shout out to you and all the hard work you've done in Malta and, and Roderick and all the hardworking staff there to keep rugby league going and thriving. Um, I'll, I'll 
you know, in the early days, uh, Malta would invite touring teams, and like you said, it was a great place to tour. Yeah. Um, I remember Cambridge University toured, and Anthony got me over to referee uh, Bamber Bridge. Um, they, were, they were a great bunch of lads, and um, got me over to referee that game. And um, yeah, when you when you said uh, about what you said on the media to try and get a rise, and, um, I, I refereed Malta versus Denmark, and I and it was there was a bit of an all <laughs> it wasn't an all in, but it was one or two fighting just before half time and I'd sent a couple of players to the bin and uh, I think Malta were losing 8-0 at half time and I was I was the most un- uh, I was <laughs> unpopular man unpopular man in Malta but uh, yeah. Malta ended up winning I think it was 12-8 or 14-8 in the end and um, Anthony will remember this they let I, I took so long to get, get ready for the after match function after the game they left me in the change rooms and I, uh, I I looked around I was the last one in the stadium and I had to get a taxi to the after match function because they forgot about me <laughs> but uh, like, no, on purpose or pro- probably <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Anthony um, keep up the good work and all the hard-working staff there so was the next chapter in your life after you moved back to Australia from Norway you um, ended up picking up a role with the New Zealand Warriors so tell us about what the role entailed and, and how Mate, was that? I was just working. Um, I, I actually, yeah, I, I got invited by my uncle. He, he said, oh, why don't you come over here for a bit? Maybe. Anyway, so I got on the Warriors and I said, look, I'm coming over. And I said, yeah, sweet. So it was um, Brian Smith was the head of the football department at the time. So Brian Smith, the ex-NRL coach? Yep. So, um, yeah, and he luckily yeah, he just said, yeah, come and see me in the office. And uh, he said, well, where, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I said, oh, I don't care. He said, we'll put you with the youth development squad and just work with them. So, yeah, I went and did that for a bit. And um, the funny thing was, then after that, I I ended up becoming mates with uh, the old Warriors winger, that Francis Melly. Okay, And yeah. um, he put me on to... Uh, it's funny how the world works. Everyone knows each other. Like, it was... Yeah, Francis uh, was... He's put me on... He, he said, oh, go and do local club stuff too on the weekends. You'll make some mates. Right. And, oh, all right. So he's put me on to uh, Glenora Bears. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The, the coach of Glenora Bears at the time was uh, Bernie Perinara, father to uh, Henry Perinara, the referee. Right. So, yeah, I'd, I uh, became uh, good family friends with, um, with Henry's family over in New Zealand and spent uh, most of my Friday and Saturday nights uh, having a beer with them. Fantastic. Uh, mate, and Glenora as a club, um, my mum... Uh, grew up in West Auckland, and um, yeah, Glenora is uh, based out in West Auckland, so lots of uh, Maoris and Islanders, so not a place you want to be uh, getting lost in dark. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so it's got a bit of a rep, old West Auckland, but um, right. mate, I, I, I love the joint. It was, it was great. Um, you know, obviously having family there as well, originally from that area, <clears throat> uh, that helped. But uh, yeah, I'd... I'd I, tell you, I don't think the Kiwis liked me very much, though, so I was, I was kind of happy to come home, to be honest, because really? looking like this, but sounding like this, <laughs> it wasn't a good mix over there. They uh, say you're a rarity in uh, Auckland with an Aussie accent, I guess. Uh, rarity or a target, I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, was, uh, it's, it's great to see that you're still involved with rugby league, you're still working in the game, you've just been appointed to a new role up in North Queensland. So tell us about the new role. And, and oh, oh, Central Queensland. Oh, Central Queensland. Sorry, They'll get upset. Central Queensland. <laughs> yeah, so, no, the Capras boys will be upset, you say North. So, so tell us about, yeah, what's it like up there and how, and, you know, you're doing long hours. Like, um, yeah, tell us about the role. It's hot. That's what all I can say about Rockhampton. It's hot. <laughs> uh, mate, it's, it, they brought on a, um, 
a new ops manager. Um, so it, the whole thing was just about uh, how can they you know, just run things a bit more professionally and, and grow the game a bit, which obviously I had a bit of experience in. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a pretty big job. It's big. I honestly thought, it, oh, this would be easy. Yeah, yeah. No dramas, you know, oh, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, no worries. And then I got up there and, yeah, the, uh, well, just the, uh, yeah, there's, they have a different structure there where the clubs are, you know, if I'm being honest, the clubs have a lot of power up there and, you know, they're, they're basically the board is right. is the... Uh, each is, club. Each club. Yeah. You know, which is understandable, but I sort of was hoping to... Uh, Get a couple of um, independents on there to sort of break the uh, break the ice a little bit because the the problem is, or what I view as a problem is is the fact that they're um, you'll never get anywhere if the clubs are just arguing and bickering amongst themselves. You know, you, you've got to have a laser focus on where do we want to get to? Do we all agree on it? Let's get to there. Yeah, we all got to pull in the same direction. That's exactly right, and and it, it just I guess for me it's frustrating. Um, you know, trying to. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, you you'll get you'll get blokes who think you're doing great and blokes who think you're an ass, you know, depending on what decision you make. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And that's exactly yeah. right. And I, 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 the only thing I do uh, up there is I just try and make sure that people know that everything I do is for the betterment of the game. Right. And I've I've said it to them a couple of times. I think it bristles them the wrong way, but yeah, uh, I say to them, look, yeah. You know, I don't care about your individual club. That that's not the main thing for me. The sport is gotta the put, main thing for me. Put rugby that's, first. that's and that's what's going to come first. If that's what helps the sport, because if the sport's going well, you're going well. Hundred um, Yeah. So yeah, I keep trying to reiterate that, and um, hopefully they all buy in over time, and uh, we'll see how we go. So uh, how long have you been in the role for so far? A couple of months. So it's going going so far so so good. So far so good, but uh, you never know in this world. It's uh, yeah, you, I could be cut tomorrow, and who knows? <laughs> oh, well, good luck. I hope you know. Hope it goes well, and um, you know, rugby league keeps keeps going up onward and upward in that area. But yeah. um, was you yeah, as we were spoken about in the episode, you've got an extensive background in rugby league, not only just in Australia but all around the world. So I just wanted to ask you, in the upcoming World Cup, uh, who's going to surprise us? <sighs> Mate, I would say Jamaica. So, to be honest, like people don't realise, especially over here, like we live in this little rugby league cocoon over here, that, mate, half the guys in that Jamaican side are either playing Super League or Championship. Yeah. You know, like, they're no slouches, and these guys are Jamaican heritage, you know, Jamaican blood, but they've been playing rugby league their whole life. Yeah, and and I tell you, everyone here is probably going to sit there and think this is a joke. How can they be in this competition? Well, they're going to turn a few heads and they're going to pop a few off. And you, when you see the skill level of these guys, they obviously have you know that West Indian blood, but you know they've been trained in rugby league their whole lives. Yeah, you know, these guys are no slouches, and for them to knock off the US like they did. Yeah, that that says it in itself, and that's them just just getting started. That was without half their team. Mm. Now that you know they're obviously in the World Cup, and we've had to delay it for this long, you know now other guys are sitting there saying, "Well, I can get a World Cup spot." You know, so those Super League guys, they're all going to be in there, and they're they're going to shock a lot of people. But to to me, look, I'm not shocked. So no, yeah. I think they'll go real well. 
So it's going to be, uh, you know, for international rugby league fans, it's going to be a, a great World Cup, and I'm sure there's going to be a few surprises for us all. Um, so what was my last question. Uh, if you're in charge of the NRL, where do you put the 18th <laughs> franchise? So it was up to you. You've negotiated TV rights, and you've got enough funding, and we're ready to expand to an 18th franchise after the Dolphins have been in for a few years. Yep. Where do you where do you place the 18th team? Well, you place it in to a different time zone. Like it, it's absolutely mind boggling, mind boggling. Now you're getting me started. How the hell you can put another team in Brisbane? You know, you 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 put another team in Brisbane on the exact same time zone. Look, WA are two to three hours behind us, which is perfect. You can lead up and you can have games all night. Mm, all mm. night. You could do the same if you took a side to Wellington or Christchurch. The exact same way. If you were smart, you'd put a side in both. And I'm sick to death of hearing people on TV, in the media, sitting there saying to us, we don't have enough talent, we don't have enough talent. I guarantee you right now, I haven't even looked at the New South Wales Cup, but I watch the Queensland Cup every week. There is enough talent in there to put another a, a Queensland Cup side in the NRL because mm. half, of that, half of that Queensland Cup are NRL players. So why can't we put another side in? Don't, don't sit there, oh, no, it'll dilute the talent. No, it won't. You just give that talent the opportunity to train full-time and get a shot. Mm. You do that and the whole world will change. Don't, don't just go, no, 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 we're not doing that, we're not doing that. That's a selfish, narrow-minded attitude and that's the whole problem with our game at the moment, in my view. Well, I said on um, past episodes was, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, but there's another hundred Justin Olams in PNG just waiting to be developed in the in a in a professional system. Vinavalu's and Mike Sivo's out of Fiji, um, you know, being worldly people like we've lived around the world. There's some fantastic rugby union talent. Have we? You know, we haven't. When people say there's not enough talent out there, are we? You know, is that we're just putting it? That's an argument to say it's in the too hard basket. I don't think. I don't even think it's too hard. I th- I think it's more just narrow-minded because it goes back to the old Sydney days. That's my view. They're just thinking, of, oh, no, 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 we want to keep it closed house. Why? Because if we bring in other clubs, they're going to steal our players. And that's all they're thinking it's about. Self-interest. Yeah, exactly. Like, get that out. Think of the game. I keep saying it. Like, guys, get your club hat off and think of the game. If the game's going well, your club's going well. Yeah, no, 100%. And that, that just leaves me on my last point before we wrap up. Um, where you see the NBA, they put highlights on YouTube and the NRL is very protective over their rights and they don't want people seeing it for free. You've got to pay. But um, we, to get new fans, we need more eyeballs on, on our sport because we have a great product. And um, imagine if people in America or Jamaica can just go and watch games on YouTube, which I've, to be fair to the NRL, I've seen them put a lot of old games on now. Like they might have put two years ago's All-Star game on so people can watch the whole game and things like that. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on that? Just... See, here's where, you know, I've always had the view that don't put business people in charge of a sport because they're two different things. A business is constantly trying to make money you know, so they can give it to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Whereas a sport is constantly trying to make money to plough it straight back into the sport. Like it's, it's an ever-rounding circle. And if you're smart, you'll grow that circle bigger. And then, but it's just got to keep going around. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of a sport is to get the money in so they can plough it back into the sport. The whole purpose of a business is to get money in so they can shell it out. Take it out, yeah. Why the hell would we as a sport give the reins to... So so here's a classic example of why I get so passionate about this and why it upsets me. is because of the fact that 
when we're sitting there and the NRL is getting asked by all these other other countries that are just starting out, hey, can you send us some of your like tackling videos or, or you know content so we can show our guys? Nope, we're not showing you. We're not doing that. No, that's our personal content. Yeah, it's private. You can't have it. But we like, we got a hundred guys. So we're not trying to overtake you. We're just trying to get started. We don't care. No, we're not doing that. Like, mm. And I'll, I'll I'll throw you breadcrumbs, but guys, the NRL is the biggest, and they they're the best. Yeah, and I just got a feeling that maybe they they're not seeing that. Hey, because you guys are the matriots, we need your help as a sport. Like, even the game in the UK is struggling at the moment, you know, and if you guys are going well, then, mate, we need your help. Share the pie, because if the game's going well, you're going well. Well, the way, the way I see it was is, uh, going back to the NBA, for an example, if the NBA is big around the world, if I'm an Aussie NBA fan, I'm going to buy an NBA jersey. I'm not going to, I mean, you know, I want the NBA to do well, but I'm going to go and buy a Golden State Warriors jersey or a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. If I'm an American and I love rugby league, I'm going to buy a South Sydney jersey. Exactly right. So the more international fans we have, it's going to help the game as a whole. And us, yeah, I just I think sometimes we don't look at the bigger picture. Yeah, know? yeah, mate. We we can be a, well. I wouldn't say a little bit insular, very insular on um, on a few subjects like that. And mate, my my views and, and comments and stuff, you know, it'll probably bristle a few people. But you know, just like a belly button, everyone's got one, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, you know, they're my views from from a bloke who's who's been around the world and and seen the game and and tried to help it grow. Like, if we can, um, you know, get more guys like Taz, old Taz Batiri, um, we'd be better off. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. hundred uh, percent. Well, was uh, thanks so much for giving up your time to come on the uh, show today. That's all right, mate. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And um, cheers. cheers. Uh, thanks, mate. Ta-